0: All right, good morning. Welcome to the Tuesday morning men's Bible study at Park City's Presbyterian Church. I want to invite you to go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, we are yet again here in the sanctuary for another fall together with our men's Bible study. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. I've never met you before. I'd love to meet you afterwards and tell you more about this Bible study uh, and then more about our church, if this isn't your church home. As you look around the sanctuary, you'll see we're kind of spread out. That's totally fine. Uh, Each and every morning, you'll come in here. You see these numbers here. Uh, Those are the table numbers. Uh, I say table because ordinarily we would be in the fellowship hall around tables. That's our normal rhythm. Uh, We will not be in that for the, the fall semester. Hopefully in the spring, we will. But each of these, we'll think of them as groups. If you do not have a discussion group, That is the most important part of this study. It is not the teacher. It is actually what happens after the teacher. Our job as teachers is just to set the table for you as a group to dive into God's word together and to discuss. And so each and every week we're going to do our best to get you to your discussion group so you can, for about 30 minutes, really unpack God's word together. Uh, As you come, you will come and get one of these. We'll send these out to you uh, the day before. Um, And so you can kind of get a heads up as you come in, you can grab one of these, make sure you have one if you don't have one yet today. On the front, you've got our passage for the day. On the back, you have discussion questions. I always put way too many questions on here that you will never get to just for this morning. So my encouragement is that you would actually take it home and spend some time in your own personal devotion as you kind of contemplate and process all that the Lord is teaching you through his word. The last couple of things I wanna announce is if we do not have you registered, make sure you see a lane on your way out or register. That helps us get information out to you. As we get information out, we typically do it through email. If we don't know that you are part of the study and we're sending an email out to let you know something and you're not registered, you're not gonna get it. So make sure you are registered. Even if you've registered in the past, We want you to register for each and every semester with us. And then the last thing I want to say is this. Um, We're glad that you're here. We believe that God's word is powerful. Uh, We believe um, that God's community is where he does his best work. And so by design, this is a pretty simple thing that we are doing on a Tuesday morning. Uh, By design, all we are doing is opening God's word together and asking that through the Holy Spirit, Uh, the Lord Jesus would shape us and conform us and change us. And so I'm very excited about our study uh, this semester together. If you've seen the signs around church or you just look at this one right here, uh, it's a pretty straightforward title. We're going to be looking at prayers of the Bible. As we'll talk about today, um, when you think about what prayer is, and depending on how you grew up, You may have lots of different ideas or definitions about prayer. And a lot of times that I talk to people, and I talk specifically to men, prayer can be a mystery. It's hard to know where to start, what it looks like, are we doing it right? And I promise this isn't a Jesus juke, but one of the best places to start is with the Bible. And what we're going to be looking at together this semester is specific prayers found in the scriptures that teach us what prayer really is that teach us that this is not just a prayer you could pray verbatim and maybe you could do that but more than that we'll be looking at the story behind the prayers why did the person offering this prayer prayer in this way and how did God meet them in that prayer what can we as God's people learn from that My hope at the end of this fall together is that prayer will be not only demystified for you, but whatever prayer is for you today, however you think of it, whether you think of it as just something that's tradition, we just do for the sake of rote memory, or if you think of prayer as a chore and something that almost you feel guilty or even shame about this morning because your prayer life is not that active. My goal for you is that at the end of this study, you would truly see prayer as a grace, a gift from God that we can commune with the holy and living God. And so to begin, let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's word together. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the gift of prayer. Even as I pray this morning, it's hard to comprehend that you, the God of the universe, the one who's made all things, the one who is high and lifted up, the one who is transcendent, uh, the one who is king, is also my friend and my father. That you would hear our prayers this morning is nothing less than an amazing gift, a grace that is only made possible through the gift of your son Jesus who died and rose again for us. And so we pray now that you Holy Spirit would meet us in this place as we open your word that it would cultivate a deeper understanding in prayer in our hearts and in our minds, that you extend our imaginations of who you are, and that we would be um, not coerced and certainly not shamed, but we would feel your gracious invitation this morning to come to you in prayer early and often, and even as the Apostle Paul says, without ceasing. What a gift you've given us in prayer. Teach us to pray, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and get out your sheet. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke. This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. If you're with us on Sunday mornings for corporate worship here at Park City's Presbyterian Church... Particularly if you were with us this last Sunday, you know that we are about to embark on a particular section of the Sermon on the Mount that is the Lord's Prayer. We have been studying the Sermon on the Mount together as a church, and a lot of people don't realize that the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew is found smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching about life in the kingdom, and then he teaches about the Lord's Prayer. And so I say that just to say this. If you do not have a church home, we'd invite you to join us on Sunday mornings because what we're going to do on Sunday morning is we're going to unpack each petition, that is each individual prayer of the Lord's Prayer, one Sunday at a time. We're going to take it slow. This morning, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke. And what's interesting about Luke's account is not necessarily the prayer itself. We'll look at that briefly. But what's interesting about Luke's account is what Jesus says after he gives us the Lord's prayer. And that's where I want to spend most of our time this morning. What Jesus says about prayer is nothing short of a miracle. How he describes it and how he describes who our God is as he is listening to our prayers should fill us with wonder and awe and worship this morning. And so to begin, I wanna start this way. I want you to think about the very first time you heard the Lord's Prayer. Now that's an interesting question, particularly if you grew up in the Bible Belt and in Dallas, but it's also interesting if you didn't. For some of you, the Lord's Prayer, you don't know every part. Maybe you've heard of the concept before or maybe parts of it, if somebody said it out loud, maybe you'd say, okay, I think that's the Lord's Prayer. For others of you, the Lord's Prayer is something that you even memorized as a kid or you heard at a very young age, but maybe like me, you heard it in a strange context, not even in a church. My earliest memory was actually in a locker room before a football game. I grew up in small town, Texas, a small, a small town so small that it's a small town outside of Waco. Any Baylor Bears? So I grew up pretty close to a place called McGregor, Texas. Uh, And my dad was the small town doctor, okay? Which meant a couple great perks. One perk is this, that uh, we, I remember as a kid, we would get pulled over, right? Maybe my dad was going too fast. (laughs) And, you know, the police officer, say, oh, Dr. Goebel, I'm sorry. You know, you just keep doing what you're doing. It's probably important, right? I remember that. The other fun perk is my dad was the volunteer football team physician for our small 3A school. I didn't go to that school, I went to a different school called Midway, it was a larger school, but they were the McGregor Bulldogs. 3A McGregor Bulldogs, my dad was the volunteer team doctor, which means as a small child, I grew up on the sidelines next to my dad and got to be in the locker room just before the games. And in those locker rooms, the coach would give, here's what we're going to do, and here's the speech, and we're going to go get them. And the very last thing before the team rushed the field, you know what they did? They prayed the Lord's Prayer. It's an amazing thing to think about. Um, This isn't that long ago that that's what happened. Probably couldn't happen today. But The other amazing thing to think about is I'm pretty sure nobody actually knew what they were saying because what it had become was this tradition. That this tradition was that the football team all together would gather on a knee, they have their football helmets next to them. And as they got through each part of the Lord's prayer, it got louder and louder and louder until they got to thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, amen. Everybody's like, yeah, and they go and charge the field. And it's like, that is an odd way to get psyched up for a football game, unless you're from small town, Texas. <laughs> And it makes total sense. The point being, the Lord's Prayer, my earliest memories, was really this tradition. This thing that these young men would recite in order to get pumped up before a football game. And you wonder, huh, I wonder what Jesus would think about that. The next memory I have is in that same small town. I grew up in a small Lutheran church, about 100 people. And in the small Lutheran church, we would go through a pretty tight liturgy. If you're unfamiliar with liturgy, that's really, everybody has a liturgy, by the way. That's a whole other topic. Can't get off topic. Everybody has a liturgy. Atheists have a liturgy. Lutherans have a liturgy. Baptists have a liturgy. Our liturgy went through very specific prayers. And of course, one of those every single Sunday was the Lord's Prayer. And of course, in church... It took on a different tone it wasn't this traditional thing that a football team did in order to storm the field no it was a traditional thing that a bunch of people who felt a sense of maybe solace and religiosity and comfort in these words recited but even as I look back at that I wonder how much of us when we recited that in church did we really know what we were saying it wasn't a rah-rah thing it was kind of cold Was wrote, we recited it because that's what we were supposed to do at church. Maybe for you, if you've grown up around church, you've grown up in church, not just the Lord's Prayer, but any kind of prayer feels that way to you. Feels cold, feels like a chore, something you're supposed to do, you're just not really sure why you do it. And then um, recently, just this past Sunday, I was reminded of another memory. Of another time where I heard about the Lord's Prayer, much more recent. And the story goes that on September 11th, 2001, an operator, supervisor for Airphone, you remember those, the phones on an airplane, was on duty that day, and her name was Lisa. And she was told by one of her employees that there was a man on the phone saying that his plane had been hijacked. Perhaps you know the story. His name was Todd Beamer. He was on United Flight 93. And Lisa recounted later that just before Todd said the famous words, let's roll, and they rushed the cockpit and voluntarily sacrificed their lives in crashing this plane into Pennsylvania, he asked Lisa if she would pray the Lord's Prayer with him. In that moment, I think the Lord's Prayer probably meant something altogether different than that football team or even in a religious service for the sake of going through the motions. Some of the last words, according to Lisa and her testimony, for Todd Beamer, wasn't just let's roll, but it was our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. What does prayer mean to you? It's meant many things for me over the years. This morning, I want you to begin to wrestle with what is prayer? What is this gift, this grace that God has given us? and What does it look like for you to be a man of prayer? Prayer for me has looked like many things, things that I didn't understand as a small young boy watching a football team pray, and even prayer for me when I was struggling with doubt, finding myself praying to a God I wasn't sure I even believed in and then now as a pastor, praying for the people. What does prayer look like for you? This morning as we look at the Lord's Prayer and Luke, we see Jesus encourage us with what prayer is and specifically who our God is when he calls us to pray. And so let me read this for us this morning and we'll look at this very briefly together before we go to our tables. This is Luke 11, beginning in verse one. This is God's word for us this morning. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is God's word for us. Indeed, it's even Jesus' words for us this morning. What I want to look at, as I said, is not necessarily the Lord's Prayer in and of itself. Again, I invite you to come, shameless plug. If you don't have a church home, join us on Sundays. We'll look at each petition from the Gospel of Matthew. But we want to look at Jesus' words after he gives the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to look at it in three ways. The first is this. I want you to know that prayer shows us the friendship of God. That when we pray, we are invited into friendship with the living God. And we see this in Jesus' words in verse five. In Jesus' words, after he gives the Lord's prayer in the Gospel of Luke, he gives a couple scenarios, one of a, a friend and one of a father. We'll be looking at both of those then he also gives sandwiched in-between an encouragement of what it looks like to pray. And as we look at this first example, that of a friend, I want you to begin to see what Jesus is doing. He's kind of giving this scenario that seems pretty terrible. And yet he's showing that even with something like this, this person would do the right thing. They would do what we think is right. And how much more then is our God? why would we think of prayer any different that's what jesus is doing so with friendship i want you to notice the scenario that jesus describes verse 5 he says which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and i have nothing to set before him so here's the scenario the scenario is here you are your pantry is empty and someone has just shown up at your house as your guest, and you have nothing to feed them. They've come from a long journey, they're exhausted, they're tired, they're hungry, and you cannot be hospitable. And so you do what anyone would do, you go to your friend, your neighbor, and you say, well, I'll get something from them, the only problem, it's midnight, right? So here's the scenario, it's midnight, you have nothing to feed this person who's come from a long journey, And so you go to your friend's house, your neighbor's house and you knock on the door. And here's what your neighbor, your friend says, verse seven, and he will answer from within, do not bother me. (laughs) The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. Those of you small children, you get this, right? Do not get me out of bed. My kids are asleep. And if you wake them, all hell's gonna break loose. Like this cannot happen. So, So the scenario is pretty simple to imagine right? You're desperate. You need help. You need some food to feed someone else. And your friend is like, look, it's midnight, which isn't that unreasonable. This is pretty inconvenient. I've just got my kids to bed. Don't bother me right now. I can't help you, right? Can you imagine it? That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to use our imaginations, This is a scenario that you can probably fathom and it's not that unreasonable. He says, I can't get up, I can't give you anything. And then this is what Jesus says, verse eight. He says, I tell you, he's not gonna get up because he's your friend in that moment. He's gonna get up because of a really strange word. Do you see it if you have the ESV? Impudence, what on earth? It's one of those words that I think, man, the translator's like, Who uses that in English? Like, how is that helpful? But it's actually a very strange word in the Greek. And it's something in between persistence and audacity. In other words, look, this person, your neighbor, is not going to help you in the middle of the night because out of the goodness of their heart. No, at this point, they're annoyed. (laughs) They're like, you just woke me up. Now my kids are up. If you're like me, I had to sneak out of my house this morning because we have a dog. And if I wake the dog, it's gonna wake everybody, right? So maybe he's also got a dog, right? He's like, look, you just woke everybody else in my house up. That's why I'm gonna help you right now. Because what else am I gonna do? You have the audacity to come to me in the middle of the night. I'm not gonna help you because I'm your friend. I'm gonna help you because you're so audacious. <laughs> What else am I going to do? I'm up. And what's Jesus' point? His point is even that kind of person would help another person. Not out of the goodness of their heart, but almost because they're just bothered by it. How much more will our God, who is good, who is our friend, delight in helping us when we are in need? Jesus is trying to paint a scenario where we would see that even in this moment, the worst kind of person would help someone else. And I think in some ways what Jesus is wanting us to do this morning is he's asking, so then why would you assume that God doesn't want to hear your prayer or help you? Like, where does that come from in you? Where does it come from in me? That we would think, well, God doesn't want to help me. God is out there to get me, right? He's out there to condemn me. God's too busy for me. My needs are not big enough. Have you ever felt those things? Have you ever thought those things? Have you ever, as you've gone to pray, think, who am I to pray? I don't deserve to pray. I feel shame. Or who am I to pray? How does God even care about what I need or want? Jesus is giving us the scenario to say, look, even the the worst kind of friend would help their friend in the middle of the night. And we have the best kind of friend. Let me show you what I mean. The concept of friendship in the Bible is something that I studied several years ago. And some of you have been around me, you've heard me talk about this. Because friendship is probably one of the ways that I relate to God the least. I struggle with God as my friend. I was actually just talking to Houston Hunt about this uh, not too long ago. Um, I see him as my king. On my worst days, sometimes I see him as my boss. Maybe that describes you. (laughs) It's hard for me to imagine God as my friend. And it wasn't until I went on a silent retreat that God really impressed on my soul that he's my friend and he took me to several places uh, that have really been a gift to me over the years since then. One is this, uh, Psalm 25, 14. You can just listen, write it down, or you're welcome to turn there. Psalm 25, 14 says, "'The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, "'and he makes known to them his covenant.'" And why I love that verse so much is it helps us understand Something even of what's happening in prayer. Notice what it says. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. That to be friends with God is also to recognize he is God and I am not. That there is something holy and right in me fearing him and being in awe and wonder. But even in that awe and wonder of his majesty, that this transcendent God by his grace has come near to me to be my friend and that's one of the things that's happening in prayer that you by God's grace have been invited to commune with the living God. We get another example of this in Exodus with Moses. Exodus 33 verse 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses had a relationship with the Lord that was so close that God spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And you say, well, that's Moses. I'm not Moses. Well, no, you're not. And neither am I. But you know what? Moses was just an ordinary man like you and me that God set his grace on to draw near to He did that because he was Moses' friend. And maybe this morning you're like, well, I, I mean, God can't be my friend. I've done so many things that are undeserving of his friendship. That's true. So did Moses, by the way. So have I. Which is why I think Jesus said this in John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. The Gospel of John also tells us that there is no greater love than this, than someone who would lay his life down for his friends. Jesus, the Son of God, laid his life down for his friends, you and me. So that we could be in fellowship with God, such an intimate fellowship, that we would be called friends of God. And we cultivate our friendship with God first and foremost through prayer. In the same way that you cultivate friendship with any other person. How is friendship expressed in the human life? through conversation, through fellowship, through being together. And brothers, I have to be honest with you. As I'm teaching this to you, I am speaking to myself. I struggle with this, that the God of the universe just wants to be with me. He wants to be with you, and you think, well, that's impossible. Brothers, he stopped at nothing in order to make that happen. He gave his son to die for you. Of course he wants to be with you. He laid his life down for his friends. That's not just friendship that we learn about here in this passage. We also learn about his fatherhood. I want you to look at verse 11. Jesus gives us another scenario. He says, What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. So again, if you're a father this morning, you can imagine the scenario. Your child comes up to you and says, hey, will you give me something, right? Um, my kids have never asked me for a fish. Um, so that part's a little hard to fathom. And they actually hate eggs. <laughs> There's a war to get them to eat anything. But let's, for the sake of Jesus, like let's take them here, right? He asked for a fish and what father? Any kind of father would just give him a serpent instead. What kind of father? Any kind of father would give a kid a scorpion instead of what they asked for an egg. What's his point? His point is even the worst fathers aren't going to do something like that, right? He says even you who are evil know what it looks like to give good gifts to your children. How much more... Would our Father, who is good and perfect, who loves us, delight to give us the Holy Spirit when we ask? So again, here's a scenario. The worst fathers among us would still know what it looks like to give gifts to their kids. But God is not the worst father among us. He is the best He is the true good Father. It's the thing that I'm going to be talking about this Sunday as we look at the very first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, even just praying that one thing to address God as Father recognizes that He sent His Son to die on the cross for we who were once orphaned have now been called sons of God. The fatherhood of God is everything to us. And again, we see this all over the Bible. Let me just give you one passage that means a lot to me. And it's from the book of Romans, Romans 8, verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, So then, brothers, we're debtors not to live to the flesh, according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we call Abba, Father. The God of the universe is not just our friend. He's our Father. And He is a good Father who delights to give in good gifts. And if you don't believe that, I want you to consider something the Apostle Paul said later in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? If you doubt that God is a good father who delights to give good gifts, then the Apostle Paul says, consider this. Your heavenly father gave up his own son. If he would do that, how can you say he won't graciously give you all things? To pray is to not just cultivate a friendship with God, but it's to come to God as a child, as a son, trusting that your good father delights to give you good things. And here's the rub. Depending how long you have attempted to pray over the years of your life, That part of prayer is probably the hardest for you. It is for me. Because undoubtedly you have prayed something in your life that did not happen. So the other question we have to wrestle with together as we do this study, prayers of the Bible this fall, is to wrestle with why is prayer hard for us? And yes, for some of you, prayer is hard because it's just been tradition. Maybe prayer is hard because it's just been this religious exercise, but maybe perhaps for some of you, prayer is hard because you've been disappointed. The question for you is, then what's prayer? Because prayer is actually hard because you feel like, I'm just going to be let down. Maybe in the same way that some of your earthly fathers have let you down. And so that's where Jesus gives us an invitation, the invitation I want to leave with you. And it's found in between these two scenarios. Jesus gives us this encouragement, verse 9. He says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Opened. Prayer is where we seek the Lord. We seek the Lord in our joy, but also in our sorrow. Prayer is we cultivate friendship and see God as Father. Prayer is this thing that we come to the Lord and we ask and we plead. And in our pleading, we grow closer to the Lord. It's not ones and zeros. It's not X's and Y's that equal Z. It's relational relational. It's worship, and it's a way that we become closer to God. It's also a way that we see him surprise us as he fulfills his promises. And you say, well, I haven't seen that in my life. What I have found is that typically his grace is surprising because often God answers our prayers in ways that we don't expect. Maybe you've heard it. Came across this story, and this is where I'm going to end. But this last year, February 19th, maybe 20th, 2022, a young singer named Jane Marzuski passed away from cancer at the age of 31. She went by the name of Nightbird. She'd been struggling with cancer for four years, and. Just before she died, she penned some words on her blog uh, that went viral because they're beautiful and because God gave her an amazing talent and a deep relationship with him that was cultivated through cancer. I want you to hear what she says about her prayers to God in the midst of battling cancer. She wrote, I am God's downstairs neighbor banging on the ceiling with a broomstick I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in, other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to let me in. I've called him a cheat and a liar and I meant it. I've told him I wanted to die and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils, drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset. Call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened, but count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I am sad, too. Even on the days when I'm so sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is in there even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough, and it's true. And then she wrote, if you can't see him... Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. If you can imagine her overcome with sickness, huddled up next to a toilet bowl, praying through tears on the floor of a bathroom, and she says, in that moment, I saw the friendship of God. It reminds me of Psalm 126 that says, though we sow tears, we will reap one day joy. Because in the kingdom of God, when we bring prayers of tears and sorrow, we know that one day all things will be made new. But it also reminds me of another prayer that wasn't answered in the way that the prayer wanted it to be answered. Another man who prayed through tears in a garden and his name was Jesus. When he prayed, Father, if it would be possible, Let this cup pass from me, the cup of judgment on the cross. Let this cup pass from me. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And in that moment, our heavenly father answered the prayer of his son, no. And he did it for you and for me. So all who believe in him might have eternal life and be brought into this glorious fellowship that we get to now live and cultivate through the gift and grace of prayer. So now I want you to go to your tables. encourage you to stick around. Don't just rush to work and discuss these things. You might just get to one question and that's fine. Um, That might be all you do today. That's great. I invite you to come next week as we look at a challenging prayer. A prayer in the book of Genesis over Sodom. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would now draw near to these men, be with these groups once again, help them to come back together, those who have been meeting for many, many years, others that are very new and newly formed, and men who are new to this study. I pray that you would do quick work of bringing them together and helping them begin to process and to encourage one another with what you are doing through your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.